0: And we know that during the time that the Rebbe was unable to Fabreng, to lead a Fabrengen of Shabbat mevarchim in the aftermath of the heart attack that he suffered in 1977, the Rebbe used to lead the Shabbat Mavarchen Fabrengen, which was his practice from very early on, on Matsui Shabbat, on Saturday night, as, as we escort the Shabbat Queen home, so to speak. and we know that the Rebbe would speak about the Fabrengen very clearly as being connected to Shabbat, an extension of Shabbat, and as a Shabbat M'varchem Fabrengen. And due to the current COVID restrictions, it's impossible for us to get together to Fabreng, although Baruch Hashem in York Region were fortunate enough to be able to come together to Daven. I mean, except me, who is now in house arrest. (laughs) But The rest of you are Baruch Hashem able to go in Daven. which is much better than actually a little s- south of us. In Toronto, they're still stuck with 10 people. I think they just went this Shabbos to 15% occupancy. And we at our shul have a huge 30% occupancy, which considering the size of our shul is pretty good. <laughs> Halavai, we should reach 30% occupancy. So, Bor Hashem, we're able to come together as a community to Daven. Unfortunately, we're not able together to come together to Fabrang, But we are able to come together on Zoom. And as the Rebbe talked about in the Matzai Shabbat Zoom forbringens he would say that there's a virtue to to the to the hookup Fabrengens because there was people who couldn't participate otherwise they were able to participate and I look at the gallery and I see the many different uh, people who have joined us tonight and I know that some of you uh not necessarily at the Shabbat Morgen Fabrengen. you weren't necessarily there so this way you're able to participate and this is I suppose the silver lining to the current difficulty and the reality. And of course, I'm also streaming on Facebook live and there's many people out there who obviously would not be able to join us. So let me begin by saying L'chaim. L'chaim, everybody. L'chaim, L'chaim, Lavracha In today's... Today we had uh, three Hayom Yoms. During the month of Adar, we have the privilege of a double Hayom Yom. And on the final day of Adar, which was today, Shabbat was Erev Rosh Chodesh, we had not one, not two, but three Hayom Yoms. And one of them was the notion that when we toast each other, as Jewish people have since time immemorial, we say that uh, we don't just say uh, hello, salud, toast. We give a bracha. And in the world, they say, lechayim tevim u'l'shalem, that it should be a... Everybody, please mute yourself. Thank you. That it should be a, uh, a bracha. That this lachaim should be a bracha. However, however, there's also another method of toasting each other, and that's L'chayim v'livracha. Why do we speak about things in a positive way? So in HaYom Yom it says, because the first time the Torah records the consumption of alcohol, wine specifically, let's just say it didn't end well. That's the story of Noah, who got hammered and he got hammered by his son. It was not a good situation. So we say, well, this lachaim should be lachaim. it should be for good things, tovim, l'shalom, it should be in a peaceful way. The Rebbe also notes that according to one opinion, the original sin of chetei tzadas was with grapes or with wine, and as such, it's appropriate for us to say lachaim and to mention something positive. But there's the, the syntax that we follow, and that is, L'chaim V'levracha. And in Hayom Yom, the Rebbe shares with us that when the Alter Rebbe used this expression, which appears to have been an anomaly, usually the Baal would say Lachaim Tevim or the Maggid of Mezvich would say L'chaim, L'chaim V'levracha. And incredibly enough, the Alter Rebbe followed, it seems most of the time, the Baal Shemtev, not his own Rebbe's approach, which is a subject for another day. At any rate, the Alter Rebbe once did say L'chaim V'levracha and the Hasidim were talking about this, the unusual nature of it. And one said that this is connected to the word Livracha can be broken into two separate words, and the words are "lave, Raka, a soft or sensitive heart. So L'chaim is about being sensitive towards each other, feeling for each other, being empathetic, being caring towards one another. The Tzemach who was present at Afa and said that this was something that could have been understood or appreciated, intuited, by a chassid who had labored in his spiritual service and trying to make himself more sensitive for 30 years in Avodat tefillah, working on davening. Because davening is not just about turning pages like a fan, and it's certainly not just about mumbling words and not even knowing what you said. Davening is about focusing on the sacred words of of, uh, Tehillim and the various other holy sources that the words of tefillah come from and to try to elevate yourself and to become more refined in the way you deal with everything. That's what davening is supposed to be as we ask Hashem for our needs and as we nurture and develop that relationship, that personal emotional relationship with Hashem. So when you you have that relationship with God in an appropriate way and when you toil on that relationship and you don't take it for granted, it enables you not only to be aware of God's presence but it necessarily enables you to be aware of other people. It enables you to become a sensitive person. So I want to share a little story about sensitivity. This is a special Shabbat. It was a special Shabbat. The Rebbe once talked about this Shabbat as being a bridge. A bridge between the month of Adar and the month of Nisan. Adar is a very special month on the Jewish calendar. The highlight, of course, is Purim, which is celebrated on the 14th, on the 15th this year, even on the uh, was a, a three-day Purim in some places. Purim Hamashulash because of the way it fell with uh, Shushan Purim being on Shabbat. There was a Purim observances in Yerushalayim, even on Sunday. At any rate, Purim is certainly the focal uh, uh, essence of, of the month of Adar. The month of Adar is a month of joy, a month of good fortune, a month of mazel. And it's all Purim-oriented, which was a geula, a redemption. But the redemption of Purim was incomplete. As the Gemara explains, the reason that we don't recite the Hallel prayer, which we'll soon be reciting on Pesach, we'll be reciting it Passover Eve in Shul, and then in a unique fashion at the Seder, which we'll talk about Be'zrat Hashem in this week's classes, why we divide the Hallel at the Seder. But Pesach is very much a Hallel time, in fact, we recite the Hallel for the duration of the Yom Tov, the first two days we recite the entirety of Hallel. But on Purim there is no Hallel. And the Gemara answers that's because after the redemption, or the miracle of Purim, we were still under the thumb, if not the jackboot, of Achashverosh, akate Avdi Achashverosh Anan. We're still in Galut, we were still in exile. It wasn't what we call a Geula Shlema. Hallel is something that we're able to say, to give this full-throated praise, And songful expression of gratitude to Hashem requires what's called a ge'ula shlema, a perfect, absolute, and total redemption. So when we don't have that absolute redemption, it's not possible for us to recite the halal. So Purim is an imperfect kind or incomplete kind of, of, of redemption. And Pesach, Passover, which is the focal point of Nisan, represents the perfect redemption. In fact, if not for our own imperfections and iniquities, there would never have been galut again. Once we came out of Mitzrayim, we were cleansed from any kind of subjugation. We, we created the, the negativity ourselves, unfortunately, and that resulted in subsequent Galiot. And Rosh Chodesh, the Rebbe says, is the bridge. It's the bridge between, between one kind of redemption and another kind of redemption and I'm going to come back to this soon but if if I may for a moment I want to talk about I want to talk about um the way we we see Adar and Nisan as Hasidim. you know everybody looks at things in their own family way you know in, in my in my personal family my own little family uh, adar has become a very special month my wife and I get married and both of my sons got married in adar okay so adar comes and that makes us you know as a family celebrate together but the family of hasidim have a special celebration in Adar because it's the Rebbes's birthday Rebbeson was born on the 25th day of Adar and we thank Hashem for the gift of the Rebbeson as I talked about in my little Facebook live on the Rebbeson's birthday on Monday on uh, Tuesday but Nisan for us for hasidim and the family of hasidim is a special month it's it's the Rebbe's birthday and this, in this Shabbos, Rosh Chodesh Nisan becomes the bridge between the two. So, I want to talk about the, the today tonight, and I want to talk about the Rebbe. And I want to share uh, a story. A story about each. I, I started out tonight talking about sensitivity. Lev Raka. And the Rebetzin was the most sensitive of people. She had this sixth sense in being aware of people's discomfort. She went to the extraordinary lengths extraordinary lens and always trying to put people at ease in, in, in ways which actually boggles the mind. And there are many, many stories about this, of, of people who experienced this firsthand. It was really something exceptional. So I just, uh, I just read a story today that I never heard before that I want to I share with you about the Rebison sensitivity. But to appreciate the story, I need to give you a little bit of historical background. Most of you are familiar with the name Marc Chagall. Right? I'm looking at those of you who are brave enough to turn your cameras on. You heard of Mark Shigal? You could shake your head. Yeah. Who didn't hear Mark Shigal? Let me tell you what you don't know about Mark Shigal. <laughs> Mark Shigal was a little Lubavitcher boy. His Hebrew name is Menachem Mendel. And if I'm not mistaken, his family name was Shigalov. And there are a whole bunch of Shigalovs amongst Lubavitcher Hasidim today who would be his second or third cousins. Now, Mark Chagall was a very, very gifted man. And you know, talents are like a sharp knife. They can go one way or the other. And at that time in Jewish history, people didn't know what to do with art. There was no religious art. You know, the, the Rebbe really created this revolution in, in, in encouraging artists to express themselves in artistic fashion and to use it as a medium to convey and broadcast Torah ideas and ideals. But, and there were a number of individuals who the rebbe really, really, if you will, kind of almost adopted in this sense and, and pushed them forward in order to create a revolution in the world of Jewish art, Torah art. But it wasn't like that in the last century. So Mark, Mark is a very talented man, and he began to paint. And he went uh, off to Vitebsk, which was the large city of the little Shtetlach. And he went to art school, and uh, let's just say he didn't remain a devout chassid. And I'll leave it at that. So, you didn't know that. Now you know a little bit about Mark Chagall. Let me tell you about Mark Chagall's good buddy. <laughs> Mark Chagall grew up with a young man whose name was Hendel. You never heard of this Hendel. You heard of Hendel's brother. Hendel's brother's name was Mendel. Mendel, Reb Mendel Futterfas. Reb Mendel Futterfas had an older brother whose name was Hendel. Now the Mendel Futovas' name was Menachem Mendel Ben-Menachem Mendel because tragically, his father died before he was born. And he was named after his own father. Now his brother was just a couple of years older. And, and Hendel didn't have a father figure in the house and he was very, very talented, very, very passionate, very talented, extraordinary person. And he was good buddies with Mark, Menachem Mendel Shagalov. And they ended up in art school together and Handel went the way of Mark. I don't think he was called Handel anymore. I'm not sure what his Russian name was. But he went off to art school and went off to a different kind of life. And during the course of World War II, he lost everything. He lost a wife and children. He lost family. He lost everything. And it was very, very tragic. Many tragic, much tragic suffering experience. But he became a full Balchuva, as they say. He became... Uh, an amazing chassid. A a passionate, flaming chassid. But he brought his art. And the Rebbe was actually uh, very fond of what Rebbe Hendel did and he encouraged him greatly to paint. And he became the father of modern day chassidic art. There were a number of other artists over the course of the next few decades that the Rebbe strongly encouraged. Amongst them was an Israeli artist, a young man, a yeshiva student named Zalman Kleiman, The Rebbe paid for his art lessons Personally, there is a famous Israeli artist living in the holy city of Hevron. An incredible story. His name is Baruch Nachshon. And finally, there is Michal Muchnik, who is also these uh, latter two were bali tshuva who came to Yiddishkeit in their late teens or early twenties. And the Rebbe encouraged all of them and created this revolution in the Jewish world with uh, with Jewish art, Torah art. Now Reb Hendel. With Händel, you would never know where Händel, uh, where he had gone with him. But Mark because when you took a look at Händel and you could Google him, you see a picture, he looked like a member of Photofas, except he wore eyeglasses. <laughs> he had a flowing white beard and you could see in some of the videos of the Fabrengans he was a very, very passionate person. He was like, he had, he had this just tremendous energy and this enthusiasm and a love when they were sing by the Fabrengans he would, he would conduct, he would, he would like, he would get swept up in fervor. He was a real artsy guy. He was a very artistic man. In many ways and um, my father, as uh, some of you know, uh, paints a little bit and my father is very very gifted artistically and Reb Hendel taught my father how to paint. And my Zaidi was very very nervous about my father's gift, my father's talent. In fact when he was a child he forbade him to draw because he grew up with the stories of you know of of Hendel and um, and Menachemendel and where they went and he was very nervous but I think the Reb at some point told my Zadia to like relax. And, and uh, my father was a boy. He was like the only boy in Lubavitch with talent. And, and he would visit uh, Reb Hendel very often. And Hendel actually taught him how to o- use oil paints. At any rate, that's a, another, another tangent of the story. So Reb Hendel used to paint. Hendel used to paint. That was his thing. And, he, and um, the, there, there, are, there are still many, many uh, exceptional paintings. From Reb Hendel Lieberman, that are you know floating around, they're, they're 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 owned by collectors today. Sometimes the Jewish art calendar, you'll see, you'll notice his art. He had this shtick; he would make people with very long hands, very long faces. Um, that that was his uh, that, that was his he elongated things. That was his artistic bent, and you can still see uh, all of his paintings have a certain similarity. Anyway, this a little background for the story. So Reb Hendel, who was a, a man, as I said, who literally pulsated with passion and fervor. He had the tremendous love for the Rebbe and the Rebetzin. He was very, very uh, very loyal to the Rebbe and the Rebetzin. And, 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 and he would send paintings to the Rebetzin. The Rebetzin was an ex- extraordinarily gifted woman in many, many ways. And she appreciated culture and art. And every once in a while he would send a painting to the Rebetzin. I don't know if he if she kept these paintings or sent them back, or he wanted, she wanted, he wanted her to see these paintings. My father actually uh, painted a picture of the Rebbe Rashab, of the fifth Rebbe, whose uh, Hilula is on the second day of Nisan, which is Monday, and maybe I'll share that story in a moment. Sent that, sent that to the Rebetzin as well. So, But at any rate, going back, he so, so here's the story that I want to share about the Rebetzin sensitivity. So, there's a, a rabbi in Kfar Chabad whose name is... Uh, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Liber, uh, Liberov Yossi Liberov This Liberov, uh, his son is married to a first cousin of mine He's a very lively fellow he's, he's, uh, what His primary vocation is translating the Rebbe Sichas into Hebrew Most of them were originally printed in Yiddish Translates to Hebrew and he promulgates them in Eretz Yisrael He's one of the Shluchim that was sent to the land of Israel to bolster Israeli society in the 1970s, in the mid-70s Now, Rabbi Liberov's mother, her maiden name was Futafas. She was Mendel Futafas' daughter. And tragically, just a short while after Mendel was released from the Soviet Union, she was killed in a car accident. And there was a whole brood of children that had to be raised, so to speak, uh, without a mother. Again, another another, another awful and tragic and difficult uh, 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 chapter in the life of Hasidim. So this Yasi Libidov is in Crown Heights, and he's visiting his great uncle, his zaydi, the Mendelfort of us, his brother Handel. So Handel, Handel, says to him, "I want you to take a, a a painting that I just made to the Rebbe's house. <laughs> you you need to understand, the Rebbe's house was like. Could you go and uh, drop by Buckingham Palace, like?" The Rebbe's house, we were, were in awe of the Rebbe's house. I was, as, as a yeshiva student, I could count the times on, 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 on my hands that i had even come to the Rebbe's block. I, I would, I would, I would like, tremble when I was on the Rebbe's block even. I would, wouldn't go there. You don't want to be seen. You're afraid to be seen by the Rebbe and the Rebbe's. And you can't imagine the, the awe, the reverence, the esteem. The Rebbe's house was like, was, was like to us like, like a s- sacred place. You know, this is the Rebbe's private place. And, and I, I barely knew what the house looked like even, until the rabbitson's passing, and then all of a sudden we were in the house. It was, it was like surreal, really unbelievable. So So Libra was like, "No way, I'm not bringing a painting to the Rabbitson. "Forget about it," he says, "I'm not doing it." He says, "If you want, I'll leave it in the Rebbe's front door, there was a glass door with two doors. I'll leave it between the two glasses. I am not going to the rabbittson." And Reb Hendel's like, "What's the problem? Bring the painting to the Rebenson." And she says, "I'm not going. I'm not going." He says, and they have this whole argument. And It sounds strange to you, like I know you guys are probably wondering, like, "What's?" It would be a privilege to see the Rebenson. We we were really in such awe that words fail me to describe the way way we felt, and, and like I relate to the story totally. So anyway, finally, um, Lieber, uh, Reb, Reb Hendel relents and he says, "Okay, listen." fine fine it's a it's a painting i'm gonna wrap it and and just put it between the doors so but un unknowns to Yossi Librov, <laughs> Bendel called the Rebbe's house and told the Rebotson, my nephew's on the way over with a painting i don't want to left between the doors okay so you make sure you make sure that you open the door just when he gets there so what happens so Yassi Libidov comes to the door, he's quaking in his boots. He opens the outside door, he puts the painting between the doors very gingerly, and he runs for his life. (laughs) And as he's running, he hears the door sliding open, but he's afraid to turn around, he doesn't even turn around even. He comes back to his great uncle, and Handel says, No, did you give the picture to the Rebetson? So Yassi says, No, I told you, I was going to put it between the doors. He says, what do you mean? I called the Rebetzin. I told her you were coming and I asked her to take the painting. And Yossi realizes that's why as soon as he left, all of a sudden the door opened. The Rebbitson understood, somehow intuitively knew, how uncomfortable this yeshiva student was. And so she waited away from the door and as soon as she, didn't want to, she wanted to honor the artist's request that the painting shouldn't sit between the doors. As soon as he put the painting, she opened the door. But she was, was uh, respectful, sensitive to the feelings of a young yeshiva student. This is, this is the Queen of Lubavitch. Okay, This is like she's sensitive to the feelings of a young yeshiva student. Yes, the artist called and made a request. She's sensitive to that, respectful to that. This, this was the Rebetzin. This is epitomized the Rebetzin. Always thinking of others and always sensitive to others. Always sensitive, thinking of how somebody else would feel. And of course, that's like the idea of Raka, That's the lechem vleveracha. We all have to work harder at being sensitive to others, to be sensitive, to feel others' discomfort. And it's not about it's not about how we emote. It's not about how we express ourselves. It's not about what we want. It's about how does somebody else take that? How does somebody else feel? And this is counterintuitive. Nobody's born thinking of others. Little babies wake up middle of the night, they don't think of their parents trying to sleep, they just wail. We are wired to be selfish, we're wired to think about ourselves. That's, that's who we are by nature. But Chassidus emphasizes time and again that nature was made by the Creator for us to change. So people say, well that's, that's who I am. And Torah says, great, change it change it. No, it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what comes intuitively or naturally. The question is, what does Hashem ask of you? And Hashem wants us to be lev raka. And that's what a fabrengen is about. The fabrengen is actually about becoming sensitive towards each other. So let me interrupt by saying l'chaim. L'chaim to all of you. I want to wish all of you a, a good month, a Shavuatov, Tov, a Chodesh Tov. Hashem should bless each and every one of us that this should indeed be a month of miracles, a month of amazing things that will happen for us. You know, uh, at the beginning of the year, I, f- I shared this, this manuscript from the Rebbe, this, this edited sicho. The Rebbe talks about Plois Arenu. He seems to be talking about Pe Aleph our year. And like I, I told you right away, I don't know. It just looks like that to me. And I, I shared with you in two classes. I, I don't know. I, 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 never, I never claimed to know then. I don't claim to know now. But I do know that when we get to the month of Nisan, we come to the time of miracles and redemption, as as um, as the Medrash states. the Medrash says, Hakadosh Baruch When Hashem selected or chose His world, by Rosh Ba'Yrasheh and Vashanin. He initiated time. Oh, by the way, I've say Lechaim. First of all, Lechaim, 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 So when Hashem created the world, He created time, along with space, as the Maggid of His Rich explains that the spatial reality is based as a ma- mathematically in sequence and the sequence begins with time. Past, present and future leads us into the notion of space here, not there or, or, at the same time. It can't be in two places at the same time. It begins with time, it falls into space. So the limitations of the world as we know them are based on time and space. That's the idea of Bereshit Bara. However, it says that Mishibachar B'Yakov when Hashem chose Jacob and his progeny, Kovah Rosh Chodesh shal Ge'ula Hashem established a Rosh Chodesh of redemption. That's tonight. Tonight is Rosh Chodesh of redemption. Which means that even within the frame of time, it's possible to experience timelessness. That even within the pull of gravity, we can experience a spiritual weightlessness and defy that gravitational pull or limitation. And this is the nature of miracles. It's the nature of, 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 of things that it, we can't really understand or, or, or mathematically figure out. There's the reality of the Jewish people that doesn't make any sense. We're a miraculous people. We should have disappeared a long time ago. The fact that we continue to flourish, the fact that we continue to be loyal to Hashem and His Torah, even though the society around us is so hostile towards just about everything the Torah espouses, and the fact that more and more of Bnei'u B'not Yisrael are returning to Hashem's Torah after all of the tragedies and travail we suffered is actually astounding, it's, it's a, it doesn't even make any sense. And it's miraculous. So we are miraculous people, our survival is miraculous, our triumph is miraculous, our continued growth is miraculous and that's embodied in the idea of Rosh Chodesh Nisan which is tonight. So L'chaim everybody, L'chaim, L'chaim to miracles. L'chaim, to Ge'ula, to redemption. Not the Akati Avdi Achashverosh kind of redemption, not the Purim redemption, which was incomplete, but L'chaim, to total redemption, to absolute, be, absolutely being freed of the things that shackle, inhibit and limit us and our growth in our of Yiddishkeit, that we should be freed of these things. We should, we should be able to get past our own inhibitions, our own fears, our own anxieties, and the things that would shackle or inhibit us insofar as the larger world is concerned, we should be freed of all these things. And we should we should experience true miraculous weightlessness in a, in a spiritual sense. And of course, that will be fulfilled with the coming of Mashiach, and Hashem. So, L'chaim to that. L'chaim. And um, as I mentioned, it's the Rebbe's birthday coming up the, in the month of, of, of Nisan for Hasidim, you know, the family of Hasidim. This is a very important day for us. This is the day that Hashem chose to give... Our generation, this incredible Neshama, this, this millennial Torah leader who really, you know, you, you wonder if a person like this had walked the face of the earth in centuries. And, and, and you ask like, our generation, as, um, you know, my colleagues and I always speak about, we sit at a, a for bringing together, and we have like the Rebbe, the greatest Rebbe, and the lowest Hasidim. Like, it's like the biggest oxymoron. But the Rebbe knew that our generation needed, needed a Rebbe like this. Rebbe who had excellence in, in every field, in every area, excellence in, in every part of Torah, the revealed part of Torah, the esoteric part of Torah, in the mysteries of Torah, in the grammar of Torah, every part of Torah, there was no part of Torah in which he was an expert. There was no science that he was unfamiliar with, every arena of science. The art of war was something he was intimately aware with. In fact, my father told me when Ariel Sharon first came to visit the Rebbe, he spent hours in the Rebbe's study, and my father was there father was there, I believe it was 1969, and he came out of the Rebbe's study, and then he sat down with the yeshiva students. And the first thing he said to them is, which military academy did he go to? And they said he didn't go to a military academy. He said it's not humanly possible. A person who understands, he said the Rebbe analyzed the six-day war with him, showed him all the mistakes and all the things right. He says, where do you have a Torah leader like this? Where do you have a Torah leader? He understood economics, he understood accounting, he understood medicine, he understood atomic science, he understood electrical engineering. He, 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 knew, he knew everything, and then the miracles, and the sensitivity, and the love, and the charisma, the holiness. I mean, it's crazy. It's cr- cr- a crazy composite of, of of just unbelievable energy bundled into one neshama. It's 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 an astounding thing. It's the greatest gift. That's that's really it's a gift that Hashem gave us. So Yud Alaf is the day we celebrate that gift, and and I spoke about. The miracle of Jewish eternity and the, mirac- the mirac- miraculous nature of Hosh Nissan, Nisan. And what, what does it mean? What does it mean to be limited, to be within the frame of time, to be within the frame of our world, and yet at the same time to be like, like weightless? So one of the things it means, or it's a paradigm for this or an example of this, is the notion that the Rebbe has terrestrially not been with us for almost 27 years. That's a fact. It's a fact. I go to the Ohol. Okay? The, the Rebbe's the Rebbe's grave is there. His sacred tomb is there. We pray over there, and, and, and yet, and yet, the Rebbe's presence is so vibrant amongst us. You, they, they, there are stories that happen almost weekly, where you'll ask yourself, how is this even possible? How, whenever has this notion of a tzaddik lives on in this world even more so than before, been more manifest. I, I don't know. I mean, There may have been times. I, don't, I, can't, I can't tell you offhand. It's extraordinary. So I want to share with you the, the latest amazing story. I just heard this last week. My, my brother-in-law collects these stories and he sent it to me on a WhatsApp. And I actually saw the manuscript. You can't, you can't make this up. I saw the actual manuscript. So this also, to appreciate the story, I have to give you a little background. You all know that Prime Minister, somebody's got to unmute themselves. You all know that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu um, had a, uh, a unique relationship with the Rebbe. The Rebbe really invested a lot in him, Rebbe told him amazing things. But the most extraordinary event, one could argue, was when the Rebbe spent close to an hour before HaKafot started. Before HaKafot started. It's 1986. I was there. <laughs> Nobody could tell me stories. I saw this with my own eyes. I was, I was a boy. And and the Rebbe spent, uh, maybe 87 or 86, this I don't remember. I'm not sure about it. but I, I was there. That I'm sure of. I think it was 87. The Rebbe spent, uh, maybe 86. Somebody will Google it and tell me. Benjamin Netanyahu at the time was representing the State of Israel at the United Nations. He was not... Anybody terribly special. He wasn't, uh, nobody could have known what the future would bring. He was like Danny Danone is in, in the UN today. Danny Danone is a nice guy. I, I met him personally many times. He was here in Toronto to speak at the at Chabad dinner a few years ago. I met him at the Ohel <laughs> just just last year when I was at the Ohel. I met him and he was very friendly. Danny Danone, is huh? a guy you who know, represents Israel at, at the UN. Benjamin Netanyahu was the guy representing Israel at the UN. So, so he comes to Hakafot on Simcha's Torah night and the Rebbe spends an enormous amount of time speaking to him. Enormous amount of time. Nobody could understand what was going on. And many of the things that Rebbe told him that night later on became, as he says, as Prime Minister Netanyahu says, became his guiding light. So I, uh, I had the privilege actually of, 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 of being in Israel During the elections, the second time, Benjamin Netanyahu was running for prime minister. I was with uh, Howard and Claire Gowinski at the time. Uh, Their son Benji was celebrating his bar mitzvah. It was in the the winter. And we were spending, we were for Shabbat in the David Citadel Hotel. And who would you believe? Who's there on the porch with his wife? It's Bibi sitting on the porch. And and Howard comes over to me and he says, Go and tell him about keeping the land of Israel strong. Go and tell him. I'm like, Are you kidding? All of a sudden, me with my big mouth, I'm all of a sudden I get, I got tongue tongue tied. All of a sudden, I'm shy, <laughs> and I was like, I'm a, I kept, it was embarrassing, you know. Like I, all of a sudden, what happened to my gumption? I happened to my courage? And then and then Jack Gans was there from our show and he went and presented about a bottle and I'm like uh, uh, whatever. So I said, you know what? This is embarrassing. Jack is not afraid to go, and I get up there and give all these sermons about Israel and the land of Israel. I'm, good. I'm just going to go. And I remember there was a member of our shoulder, Marshal Usher. He came with me, and we we got through the the security very easily. Actually, I was there with Fage and the, I think I think uh, maybe it was Liba and Levy were two babies in the in the in, in, their, in their carriages then. And. And I, I began my conversation with him. I said, I was there. I said, first of all, I went to the same school as you. He goes, what school did you go to? I introduced myself, I said, I'm from Toronto. I thank you on behalf of the Jewish people. You're the best spokesperson we have. We're grateful for it. And I said, I have the distinction of going to the same school. He said, what school? I said, well, I was a young boy in Philadelphia and I went to the school at, in Elkins Park. And I know that you and your brother, shalom, went, it was a public school, Then you guys went to that school when your father was a tenured professor at Temple. And he said, Oh, yeah. oh yeah, I went to that school. I went to that school. Oh. And then I said, and I remember when, when you were there by the Rebbe on Simchas Torah. I said, I remember it. I said, I remember. And I remember, I, I asked my father, I was standing next to my father uh, for, at, the, at, the, at the Hakafot, and I said to my father, I said, Tah, who is that guy? Who is the Rebbe talking to? He's a young man. I don't, he was in his 30s. And the Rebbe said to me, that is the brother of Yoni Netanyahu. I don't even know how he knew. But he knew. He said, that's the brother of Yoni Netanyahu, the hero of Entebbe. And uh, you know, Entebbe was still very fresh in everybody's mind. It wasn't even barely 10 years later. Could somebody please mute himself? So at any rate, the um, was talking to him. And I, and, I, and I said to him, I said, I said to him, um, I was there. And he said to me, do you know what the Rebbe told me? And he said to me, the Rebbe said, he called the UN a house of darkness. And he said, when you light a candle, its light can be seen from afar. I said, why don't you share that with people? Why, why, Why don't you share that? He says, I will. Well, he did actually. I, I, I don't know if it was the power of suggestion or if I had anything to do with that, but he did. Because when he spoke at the UN a few years later, he did actually share that story at the well in the UN. He shared that story. And, uh, and I remember I said to him, I said, I, said, uh, I said, Mr. Netanyahu, I know that you're going to win the election and be the next prime minister. Please don't make the same mistake again. Do not give away territory. It's a disaster. And he pointed, you know, on the porch of the David Citadel. He pointed to the, uh, to the. You could see the ramparts of the old walls of the city of Yerushalayim. He said, "You see that over there?" And I said, "I said yes." He said, Shalanu. I said, "Leolam." He said, Shalanu. and I said to him again, "Leolam." <laughs> Don't forget that. So anyway, that's just a little. Personal twist in the in the story. But going back to the story that I want to share, how did Benjamin Netanyahu? By the way, just before I go back to, to the story, when I had the privilege of being in Israel with with um, Prime Minister Stephen Harper, so we had uh, the we, the Lubavitch rabbis were there, the whole group of us. We had the privilege of meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu and Prime Minister Harper before a state dinner that we were all the whole group was invited to. So at at the end, we all shook hands. And he quips to me, he says, so what should I speak about tonight? I said, the Rebbe and the UN? He said, you think so? Well, <laughs> I said, why not? I said, the last time I, was, I met you in this hotel, that's what we talked about. Well, guess what? At the state dinner, <laughs> he did speak about that. He said the same story, it was great. So how does he end up at, at, uh, at Simcha's Torah? How does he end up? The answer is that one of his soldiers was a fellow named Shmaya Harel. Shmaya Harel was a was a, was a, was a commando under directly under BB's command. He was part of his little group of Sayerat of Matkal of elite of elite commandos. And Shmaya Harel became a Chassid. So and this is there from Israel. They don't keep the second day of Yom Tov. Shmaya is visiting from Israel. So Shmaya decided to go to Bibi, his former commander and schlep him to the Hakafot. Now, I never got the story straight whether Shemaria got instructions to do so or he decided himself to do so. This I don't know. But if you listen to Binyam Netanyahu tell the story, he does say, Shemaria, where where, where are you coming from? Or something like that. So he does mention Shemaria's name. Now, Shemaria Harel became very, very close, very close friends with a well-known, out-of-the-box, Lubavitch Chassid, whose name is David Nachshon. No relationship to the artist Baruch Nachshon. And he's an out-of-the-box guy with tremendous energy, controversial fellow, he was, he's, he's been responsible for the um, mitzvah tanks, as they're called, for the, movi, the, the roving mitzvah mobiles in the land of Israel. And you must know that when the Israeli army went into Lebanon, right behind the armored vehicles were those mitzvah tanks. And they came home, riddled with bullets on the outside, Baruch Hashem, nobody was hurt. And uh, you, he, I, I, I've, I've continually met soldiers who told me how inspirational it was for them to be in the worst times and you have this mitzvah mobile blaring Hasidic music would pull in and come out and they would, it would bring refreshments and put on tefillin and sing and dance with the soldiers, lifting their morale. So this is, this is what they do, you know, like, like wild stuff like that. And Shemaria would work hand in hand with this, um, with this Rabbi Nachshon. They worked hand in hand for many, many years. Very, very, very close friends. Very close friends. They also went to Russia when it was still together, when it was still under the Iron Curtain. They were responsible for refurbishing and, 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 and putting together the, um, the, the gravesite of the Tzema Tzedek, the oil of the Tzema Tzedek and the, and the Rebbe Marash. They did a lot of amazing things. And this is the story that, that, that I want to share with you. They had a falling out at some point, uh, a terrible falling out, a falling out to the point that for a long time, these two best of friends did not speak. I think it might have been as long as twenty years, after Gimel Thomas, a few years after Gimel Thomas, they had this terrible falling out, and um, you know sometimes as it happens, the best of friends sometimes get ripped apart, and they were incommunicado. Just a few months ago. David Nakshan decides it's time to make peace. It's time to, you know, you have to have Avat Yisrael, the Rebbe spoke with Avat Yisrael. It doesn't matter what everybody, you know, people get angry and get frustrated and have their 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 as the South Africans like to say, the Faribals or whatever else it is. You, you can't spend your whole life getting angry. They, they have to make peace. So anyway, they decided to have a and I think this happened on Sukkot. That a Febrangun in the Sukkot. And they said Lakhaim together. We talked about saying Lakhaim, you know, Lakhaimlracha softens things up, makes it a little easier. They said Lakhaim together, one lhaim, another lakhaim. They anyway, they ended up like kind of getting, you know, coming out of their corners and, and they started to repair their relationship. By the way, Lakhaim. Anyway, they they worked, they started to work on making things better. A few weeks or months, I don't know exact I don't know the exact timing of this. David Nachshon comes to New York to visit the OL, to be with the Hasidim, and somebody comes over to him, and he says to him, the man, the man's name is um, Yaakov Chazan, Yankel Chazan, was going through the all the artifacts in Rabbi Groner's office. As you know, Rabbi Groner's uh, first is coming up. He passed away right before Pesach. He had files, endless files, in his office, and uh, they're going through files, and this Yankel Chazan. Rabbi Chazan comes over to uh, Rabbi Nachshin and he says, I'm so glad I'm seeing you. We found something, a manuscript from the Rebbe that has your name on it. Something the Rebbe wanted to send to you and to Shmaria. What is it? It's a booklet of Torah teachings about the mitzvah of Ahavat Yisrael, the mitzvah of loving each other. And the Rebbe writes, "Shmaria Har El, I, I have the manuscript. I have a copy of it. I can send it to you guys. Shemar Harel, David Nachshon, and the Rebbe writes like a, like, a, like a bracket, putting them together, and he says to give it to them with my signature. These people don't talk for 20 years. 20 years they don't talk. They get together and make peace, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, somehow, a booklet that the Rebbe said, the Rebbe instructed the Rebbe to give to them, somehow gets lost. He comes to New York and all of a sudden, and it's got his name on it and Shemariah's name. And the Rebbe says, give it, to you, give it to them in my name because of of At It's It's really an astounding story. And, and, and these, uh, this is very, very much a manifestation of what we call the, the miraculous nature of the Jewish people that within the vicissitude of time and space and within the limitations of the world as we know it, nonetheless, that things can happen which just don't make any sense and are statistically impossible. If there would be one story, two stories, three stories, you'd say it's an accident. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of such stories already. So, at any rate, this is uh, the two little stories I wanted to share with you tonight, and uh, the Fabreguen that I wanted to to uh, to enjoy and to spend time together with all of you. So, lechayim, lechayim, everybody. The Ebrister should help us that mismach geula legeula. That we come from the joy of Purim, and we're going into the joy of Pesach, and we're going into miraculous time, and the first 12 days of Nisan are focused on Nasiut, and the Rebis, the leaders of the Jewish people. And the 13th day is about Aaron and the tribe of Levi, and then we go into Erev Pesach, and Pesach is just one amazing, spiritually saturated day, one after the other. So hopefully, good things should finally come for all of us and we should merit not only to say goodbye to the pandemic not only to come out of our limitations and our quarantines and our separation but we should hashem, merit to see the walls of galut fall forever and we should be zirche, we should merit Hashem in this year nisan of Ploy sareno to see the greatest of wonders with the coming of mashiach and the restoration of the kingdom of hashem as it was prophesized in the third base of mikdash then heda will be amenu amen. Lachayim Lachaim.